Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us this morning, please, to understand your word so that we can grasp more and more of the wonderful, wonderful things that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a song by the band uh, Pearl Jam. Apparently it was originally by the Cavaliers, but uh, the Pearl Jam version is the one I know. It's called Last Kiss. I reckon it's a really, really powerful, really moving song. Uh, It tells the story of how the singer and his girlfriend are in a car accident and after sharing a last kiss, the girlfriend dies. The chorus goes like this. Oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. She's gone to heaven. So I've got to be good. So I can see my baby when I leave this world. Sad song. Uh, But theologically, I think it's a very, very interesting song. Uh, Because this is what most people think, isn't it? If we want to go to heaven, we've got to be good. Uh, If we want to go to heaven, we've got to be good. It's what most people think. It's what Pearl Jam think. But is it true or is it false? On your outline there, I've put a couple of verses from the book of Revelation. You can see them on the left-hand side at the top there. It's Revelation chapter 21. It's describing the new heaven and new earth, or what what we call for short, heaven. Just have a look there on your outline. It says, uh, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. Nothing impure in heaven, no one who does what is shameful. No cowards, unbelievers, murderers, no sexually immoral people, no liars, no idolaters, no one who puts other things before God. Our friends, the Bible's clear about it. And I think Pearl Jam have it right. If we want to go to heaven, we do have to be good. If we want to be God's people, if we want to be in the presence of God, if we want to be in relationship with God, we've got to be good. That's, uh, that's the way it works with God. That's the, that's the deal with God. That's the agreement. That's the, well, the Bible uses the word covenant. That's the covenant of God with humanity. Uh, do you know what a covenant is? It's actually a very, very important concept in the Bible. Another word for covenant is, uh, is testament. That gives you an idea of just how important that this covenant idea is. That We call the whole Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So, so what, what is this covenant? Well, commentator Peter O'Brien defines it this way. Again, I've put it on your outline. This is uh, not quite from the Bible. It's from Peter O'Brien. Um, he, de- he defines it this way. A covenant is a binding agreement which provides an established basis for interaction between its parties. A binding agreement which provides a basis for interaction, provides, uh, creates a relationship. A covenant is an agreement that forms a relationship. Now, the classic example, of course, uh, in, uh, in our modern society is marriage. So a man and a woman make promises to each other. Uh, I vividly remember, remember, almost 27 years ago now, uh, 
my wife and I made promises to each other and I stupidly agreed that I would memorise the promises. For days before, I had nightmares that I would get it wrong standing in front of the whole congregation. I swatted and swatted and swatted. had a terrible nightmare about it the night before and to this day it's seared into my memory. I call upon these persons here present to witness that I, Jeff, do take thee... Don't ask me why I said it in old English. (laughs) Do take thee, Carmelina, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. Sounds like Yoda there, doesn't it? To death us do part, according to God's holy ordinance. And this is the best bit. And thereto I give thee my troth. There you go. I gave her my troth that day, my promise. We made a binding agreement. And on that basis, a relationship was formed. We are now husband and wife. Uh, Another example of a covenant, another example of a covenant is with a minister. Uh, So in the year uh, 2000, after I'd been here for about a year, this congregation called me to be their minister. I actually dug it out from the old file. It's almost an antique now, this call. In fact, the The paperclip is completely rusted, I notice. Uh, And uh, in this call, the congregation made various promises to me, signed by a whole heap of people, nearly all of whom are now dead, unfortunately. Um, About half a dozen still alive in the 9 o'clock service, but I think there is nobody alive in this congregation who signed my call. Statistically speaking, it was a very bad thing to sign this call because they're nearly all dead. Uh, Anyway... um, We call you, Mr. Geoffrey Reed, licentiate, to take up the pastoral office among us. Upon your acceptance of our call, we promise to provide you suitable maintenance and to give you all due respect, encouragement and obedience in the Lord. In witness whereof, in witness of this, we have subscribed our names this 15th day of May 2000 and then lots of dead people have signed their names. (laughs) congregation made promises to me. I also made ordination promises. Um, Stood up before the congregation and I was asked some questions. Do you accept this call and promise through grace to perform all the duties of a faithful minister of the gospel among this people? To which I said, I do. Uh, Do you promise in the strength of divine grace to lead a holy and circumspect life, to rule well your own house and faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully, I've forgotten that bit, cheerfully, (laughs) and cheerfully uh, to perform all the parts of the ministerial work to the edifying of the body of Christ in love, to which I said, not knowing what was coming, I do, I do. We made promises to each other. And so, if you've signed up to be a member of this church, if you are a communicant member of this church, we have a relationship, we have a covenant, and I am your minister. It flows from our covenant. If we want to be in right relationship with God, if we want him to be our God and us to be our people, if we want ultimately to be with God in heaven, it must be through covenant. And God's covenant demands that we be good. Right through the Bible, this is clear. 
God's covenant with humans, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve. Uh, God made Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden and he entered into a covenant with them. He said, look after it. Don't eat from that tree over there. Be good in those ways. Obey me. And so they became his people. A relationship was established. They lived in his presence as his people. But of course, as I'm sure you know, there was a very big problem, wasn't there? Adam and Eve weren't good. They disobeyed God. They sinned, to use the Bible's expression. And so the relationship was ruined. And Adam and Eve were thrown out from the Garden of Eden. They weren't good and they could not be in the presence of God in the garden. God didn't give up on humanity. He chose the people of Israel. He rescued them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And again, he entered into a covenant with them, this time in a much more formal way. And and this covenant with Israel is what the author of Hebrews calls the Old Covenant. Uh, Under this covenant, God called on Israel to obey the law that he gave them, the law of Moses. And, And on that basis, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. They're in your outline from Exodus chapter 19. The Lord called to Moses from the mountain and said, This is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. See the covenant? God told them to obey told them to be good, and the people agreed. On your outline again, from Exodus 24. Then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. God had entered into covenant. God entered into a covenant with Israel. If they obeyed him, if they were good, they could be his people. But unfortunately, like with Adam and Eve, Israel failed to obey God. They weren't good. And so they were thrown out of the promised land, sent into exile like Adam and Eve. And even though later on they came back to the land, they were never free. They were never really God's people free in the promised land. They were slaves under Persian Empire, the story we just heard in the kids' talk this morning, Uh, then the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empires. And and there on your outline, just at the bottom of the page there, I've put uh, a quote from Nehemiah, Now, even though this isn't at the end of the Old Testament, historically, this is the end of the Old Testament. This is historically where the Old Testament ends. And and, and hear how the people pray to God. They say, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We're in great distress. Israel weren't good and so they couldn't be God's people in the promised land, in his presence. Friends, it's a consistent theme right through the Bible. If you want to be with God, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be good. That's the covenant. But unfortunately, what's true of Adam and Eve and true of Israel is also true of you and me. Uh, We're not good. The Bible is clear about it. No one is good. 
there, the last verse there on your outline, Jews and Gentiles alike. It's not just Israel, it's all the rest of us. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Paul Jam have it right. If we want to go to heaven, we've got to be good. But the problem for them and, and the problem for everybody else, we're not good. It's, it's bad news. As we've seen over these last few weeks, the author of Hebrews has been talking about Jesus being our priest. Uh, and back in chapter 4, he drew a contrast. And I think it's a contrast on which really the whole, the, this whole section flows out. Do you remember the contrast back in chapter 4? Uh, first of all, he, he, he pictured what it would be like to stand before God on your own. Uh, to try, like the singer in Pearl Jam, to, to be good enough to be in God's presence on your own. If we do that, it says we're in deep, deep trouble because on judgment day everything will be exposed every thought we've ever had every word we've ever spoken every everything we've ever done it will all be laid bare it says before the eyes of him to whom we must give account and on that day it's going to be obvious that we are not good enough for heaven but then the author showed us that we don't have to face god on our own we can face God with Jesus, our great high priest, by our side. With Jesus as our priest, he says, we can face God with confidence. We can find mercy and grace instead of condemnation. Well, now here in chapter 8, uh, the author summarizes what he's been saying about Jesus as a priest, and then he moves on to talk about something very special. So firstly, he summarises what he's been saying. He says, we do have this priest, Jesus. Uh, he's not an old covenant priest serving in an earthly temple. No, no, Jesus is at the right hand of God, serving as our eternal priest. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, have a look with me. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in a sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. As priest, Jesus offers his sacrifice. We're going to see more about this in the coming weeks. Of course, we know, though, it's the sacrifice of himself. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. Verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Uh, the author points out again that Jesus couldn't be a priest on earth under the Old Testament. Uh, we talked about this last week, didn't we? To be a priest under the Old Testament, you've got to come from the family of Levi. Uh, verse 4. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Couldn't be a priest under the Old Testament. But the author of Hebrews says... That the Old Testament tabernacle and priesthood, it's actually just a pale shadow. It's a kind of a cardboard and string copy of the real presence of God, which is in heaven. It's just a pale shadow of heaven. Verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain so that it can properly copy heaven. Okay, can you see what's here so far then? 
He's summarising what we've been covering for the last few weeks. Jesus is a better priest than the Old Testament priests. He offers a better sacrifice. He serves in a better tabernacle. But now for the rest of the passage today, the author says something very precious. He says that Jesus, in his role as priest, what he does, he mediates or he, he establishes a new covenant. A new covenant that the author says way better than the old one. Verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now what the author does, he takes us back to the Old Testament, and this is in fact the longest quote of the Old Testament in the whole of the New Testament. Now he takes us back to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah lived about 700 years before Jesus and he warned Israel, uh, warned the Jews for about 40 years that God's judgment, would, he says, you've got to stop being sinful, you've got to be good or God will come and judge. Uh, eventually Israel didn't do it, the Jews didn't do it and, and so God did come and judge. But in the course of Jeremiah's prophecies, he looked forward, he looked forward to a time beyond God's judgment and, and God promised through him that there would be this new covenant Well, the author says, through Jesus, this new covenant is here. And he quotes at length from Jeremiah. So first he, quote, he shows how this Jeremiah quote, it reveals that the old covenant was a failure. It was a failure because it didn't make people good. It was a failure because it didn't change people. It didn't change their hearts. It didn't stop them from being sinful. Verse 7. If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord. This is the quote from Jeremiah now. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So the, the old covenant had lots of laws, but it didn't change hearts. It didn't transform people to be faithful, to want to love and obey God. But in this new covenant, that is exactly what God promises to do. He promises to change people's hearts so that, so that they know God, so that they want to obey him from the heart. In the new covenant, God promises to make his people Good. Verse 10. Still quoting from Jeremiah. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. God promises to change his people so they can be his people, so he can be their God forever. No more sin, no more destruction, no more exile, no more thrown out of the garden or thrown out of the promised land. No, 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 no. 
these changed people will be able to remain in God's presence forever. And in this new covenant, God also promises to deal once and for all with sin and failure, everything we've done in the past, forgiven and forgotten. Verse 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The last thing that the author says in the chapter is that now that there is a new covenant, the old covenant is finished and it'll soon be gone, he says. And in fact, that uh, proved to be perfectly true. Just a few years after uh, the author of Hebrews wrote this letter, um, 70 AD, the temple of Judaism was destroyed. And with it, the priesthood and the sacrificial system, uh, biblical Judaism and the old covenant came to an end soon after this letter was written. Verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Okay, can you see then what's here in Hebrews chapter 8? We're still talking about Jesus being our priest, summarising, better priest, better sacrifice, better tabernacle. Uh, But but then this, this wonderful new idea that Jesus as priest mediates a new covenant. Uh, God promised this covenant hundreds of years before and it came to its fulfillment in Jesus. And in this new covenant, God promises to forgive his people fully and finally. But but more than that, he promises to change them, to transform them into the kind of people who can be in his presence forever. He promises to make his people good. As Christians, As Christians, we often talk about having our sins forgiven, don't we? Sing about it practically every second song, and it's vital that we do. Vital that we do. Don't don't hear me speaking against this in any way. God is a just judge. He will not overlook sin forever. Either our sin is paid for by Jesus, or we will face the consequences ourselves. It is vital that we have our sins forgiven. And so this promise here in the New Covenant, it's a magnificent promise. I will forgive their wickedness, and remember their sins no more. Write it up on the wall, put it on the fridge, remember it day by day. We, we should say it perhaps at the end of our prayers of, uh, of confession sometimes on a Sunday. We mustn't ever take this for granted. I will forgive their sins and remember their... I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Something for which we would joyfully thank God forever. But, but, but as we think about applying this passage, the th- thing that really strikes me that's quite unique is God's promise to change us now looking at me today you might not believe this uh, but I wasn't always this cool suave with it man that you see before you today Uh, and the group that I used to hang around with at school well nowadays you'd call them the nerd group I don't think the word was invented back then, but nowadays you would call them the nerd group. As a matter of fact, they're all now highly successful professionals, but back then we were the nerd group. But then uh, near the end of year nine, uh, a young man approached me. Uh, He had been part of the ultra-cool group, but he'd had a falling out with them. And he told me, and I vividly remember the conversation, we were walking up Yarralumla Drive in Carlingford, and uh, he told me that he's starting a new group. And they were going to do all kinds of cool things like go to parties and drink alcohol and all that kind of stuff. He was starting this cool group and he wanted me to join them. 
because I was foolish and short-sighted and stupid, I agreed. I did make a couple of strong friendships from the group, but fundamentally it was terrible for me. And, and, and I have to admit, uh, with, with most of the members of the group, I felt like a bit of a fraud. Uh, reality was, despite my best attempts to put on appearances and do naughty things with them, I, I just wasn't cool. I felt like a fraud. And the whole time I felt, at any moment, someone will realise that I am in fact a nerd and I have no place in the cool group. Do you know what? Uh, sometimes I feel a little bit the same in church. Uh, particularly if I've fallen into some obvious sin, if I've screamed at the kids or been greedy or lustful or told a lie or something like that, or if I'm struggling with a period of doubt about my own faith, uh, I show up at church, hang around with all you nice people who've obviously got it all together, and again, I, I feel like a fraud. I feel like any moment someone will realise what I'm really like, that, that I have no place among the nice people of Chatswood Presbyterian Church. I sometimes feel like a fraud, even here on earth. I have to say, when it comes to thinking about heaven, then, that is a real worry. I mean, if, if I went to heaven as I am now, even with all my past sin forgiven, I'd be in big trouble. Just imagine it for a moment. We always say, thank you, God, for forgiving us our sin. Imagine, all of your sins forgiven, all gone, all past, praise the Lord, but you, as you are today, are put in heaven. How do you think you'd go? Wouldn't be long before I'd be eyeing off that gold paver on the street, thinking, gee, that wouldn't look bad in my place, actually. Wouldn't be long before I'd be telling a lie about uh, something I did back on earth that was better than it really was. Wouldn't be long before I'd be seeing that guy in heaven who's got the better place than me and I'd be starting to feel envious and annoyed and he's got a better place than I have wouldn't take long very soon someone would realize what I'm really like they'd see what a fraud I am they'd see that I'm not suitable for heaven at all like this like Adam and Eve in the garden or Israel in the land I would soon sin and get myself thrown out If we're going to be with God in heaven, we need our sins to be forgiven. We need our past record to be wiped clean. But we need more than that, don't we? If we're going to be with God in heaven, we need to be changed. We need God, we need God to transform us into good people. Friends, that's why this new covenant is so, so glorious so much better than any covenant that went before under this new covenant God is offering through Jesus to wipe out our sins but that's not all he's offering to transform us into the kind of people that we were always meant to be the kind of people that deep inside we long to be the kind of people who can be with him forever we should start to see the effects of this even here on earth. 
uh, through the work of God's Holy Spirit. And this is what we were talking about in Bible study this week. Those of you who come to Bible study, if you don't come to Bible study, come and you'll get more out of, <laughs> more out of things. But hopefully, if you're a Christian, you are different from what you would be if you didn't trust Jesus. Hopefully, different in better ways. But friends, it's just a taste of what's to come. Because if you are relying on Jesus, the day is coming when you will be transformed. No one's going to have to say to you, know the Lord, because you'll see him face to face. There'll be no more doubt. You'll be there with him and you will know him. And knowing him, the Bible says, 1 John, you will be like him. No more struggle with sin. God will have written the law on your heart so you love him, you obey him, you worship him, you fit, you fit perfectly well in heaven. No feeling like a fraud. We will truly belong. I can't wait. Can you? Pearl Jammer right. You want to go to heaven? You've got to be good. And friends, that's exactly what God promises to us through Jesus in the new covenant to forgive us and make us good. It's what we need. It's great news. I say bring it on, don't you? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this magnificent new covenant and the glorious promises that are with it. Thank you that you promise to forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. And thank you that you promise to change us so our hearts will obey you and so that we know you. Oh, Lord God, please work in us by your spirit now. Transform us more and more to be the people you want us to be. And, Lord, we long for that day when you will raise us up and give us new bodies and new hearts fit to be with you forever. Lord, bring on that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>